Right, let's turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, I read from verse, from verse 29. Luke 12 and 29. Now, I've been speaking about the subject of God's kingdom and the operations of this kingdom upon the earth. And um, this um, morning, I want to look at a particular aspect of it um, that has to do with um, the blessing of the kingdom and how the kingdom um, comes into operation within our lives. Now, in Luke chapter 12, um, 12 29, it says, Jesus Christ was teaching and said, Seek ye not, or seek not ye, what ye shall eat and what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. He says, For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And I'll show you this morning, they seek after it from God, and God gives it to them. He says, These are the things that the nations or the heathen are seeking after that they get. It says, And your father knoweth that you have need of these things, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things, which means go to the next level. If you are seeking for these things, the nations of the world seek for these things from God. The nations of the world get it from God. God causes his reign to fall upon the thankful and the unthankful, upon the holy and upon the evil, he causes his blessings at a particular level to come upon them. The law is to everyone that asks, even he that is your enemy. You understand what I'm saying there? If God commanded us to give to people that hate us and uh, uh, have enmity in their hearts towards us, and he says that you might be called the children of your father in heaven, it means that follow after my own example. Do you understand this? But then he said, do not give holy things unto dogs, neither cast your pearls before the swine. So even though God gives that, he doesn't give holy things unto dogs, and he will not cast his pearl before them, which means there are certain things that he has reserved for us without us, which means they can't enter into these things. So the nations of the world are playing on this particular platform, and it will be a shame if we also are playing on that particular platform. Your father knoweth that you have need of these things, but rather, he said, what you are to seek is the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. And then he goes on and says, fear not, it is your father's good pleasure to actually give you that kingdom. So it's your father's good pleasure to give you this. And what he's saying in a nutshell is that if you seek the kingdom and the father gives you the kingdom, all those other things will be added unto you by virtue of you being in possession of the kingdom of God. And so in the last few weeks, we're talking about the issue of the kingdom of God. That's why, and um, this why, um, well, that's why Jesus Christ said, you must be born again. Here is where the separation is. Those things can be accessed without the shed blood of Jesus. But then they said, how can you do these things except God be with you? And Jesus now puts the division there that for you to enter or see or enter the kingdom, which means this is an operation and manifestation of the kingdom, you must be born again. Those other things on the outside can be accessed without you having the kingdom, 
But he says the kingdom sets you on another platform, and then in that or with that, all these other things are added unto you. And then he tells us that it is your father's good pleasure to actually give you the kingdom. Now go to um, Hebrews chapter 12. And here I was speaking about faith and then building it into this. And talking about the faith of the people. And I believe what he was reaching out here for was that he was talking in particular about the kingdom of God. Now, if you read Hebrews 11 in its context and then into 12, you will understand it. Because in Hebrews 11, verse 13, if you read it, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, embraced and confessed, that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And then he said, They that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And then he says that if they had been mindful of the country from which they came out, they would have created opportunity to have returned. But now they seek a better country, a heavenly one, and that God is not ashamed to be called their God, now, the reason is that he has prepared for them a city. There is something that he has prepared for them. Then if you read in verse 35, it speaks about the demonstration of the faith of these people. Then it says, their women received dead back to life. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And then in verse 39, it says, And these all having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, received not the promise. So they received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Now the message that he was bringing out was that God has provided some better thing for us, told us about the quality and kind of faith that they exercised, told us it was legitimate, but that the provision for that kind of faith was not yet available. That they saw it afar off, but these individuals realized that they had to die in faith, they received things within their lives. The highest honor that they got was a good report card from God outside the blessings, and not the word I used in plural tense, blessings that they received, but they didn't receive the promise, singular tense, and then they died because God provided something. Now, it now says in 12, because there are no verses and chapters, Wherefore, seeing that we also have all these people watching us, that we are compassed with so great a cloud of witnesses, people that for this thing that they saw ahead went through so much, people that died in faith, knowing that they won't receive this promise, they died believing, confessing those things, 
knowing that those things will not come to pass. Now, certain things happened in their lives, and we'll say this. They were wealthy people. They had material blessings and all of that. But then there was a dimension of life that they knew God had prepared for certain people, and they said they couldn't reach that because the blood of Jesus was not yet shed. Now, they have formed a great cloud of witnesses, and they are observing us. So he says, let us get aside the weight. Let us also lay aside the sin that doth so easily beset, and then let us run with patience this race that is set before us, that we should use Jesus as our example, as the author and the finisher of this faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is now set at the right hand of God. Now it says, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. So it tells us that in this journey in life, you are going to endure contradiction of men against yourself. There is going to be opposition from people against you. And it says this opposition and feedback that you get from the people might discourage you he said, therefore, do not get wearied in your mind and do not faint in your mind. Never get discouraged. Jesus went through a lot of contradiction without getting support from people, but then he went through until. Now, he now speaks in verse 4 about something. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now, that sin is in a singular tense, and I will address what that sin is. He said, you are, are suffering the contradiction of men, it says, and you must strive against sin or you must resist. That Jesus resisted a particular sin and he was striving against it and he resisted it unto the shedding of blood. That you also are going to resist this particular sin. It is this sin that God commanded Adam at the beginning. That I have blessed you, but there is one thing that you mustn't do. Of this particular tree, make sure you don't eat of its fruit. Because in the day you eat of it, something is going to happen on the inside of you. And we also are commanded that we mustn't touch it. That this is what Esau got himself involved in when he lost his birthright. And he speaks about this sin as a root of bitterness which means when you are going through the contradiction of men. Now, I will just preach this here, and then you will see it in the scripture. When you are going through contradiction from people, it means you are going through opposition from people. It means that people are rubbing you off wrongly on the inside of yourself. It means what wants to develop on the inside of you is that root of bitterness, and he said you must fight that. You must strive against that. That is the sin, which if it gets into your heart will administer death to what I am about to bring into your life. You must fight that. That when he goes on, he tells us that we are receiving, at the end of this chapter, we say it, a kingdom that cannot be moved, which means you are in the process of receiving something that the patriarchs couldn't receive, which is the manifest kingdom of God on the inside of you manifested within your life. And the cardinal sin against that is that on your pathway or your journey to the fulfillment of your destiny within that kingdom, you are going to go through the contradiction of people. And he says, don't get tired in that particular journey. Resist 
that particular saying because it tells us that we must hearken to a particular voice that is speaking from heaven. And what is the voice? It's the voice of the blood of Jesus that speaks of better things than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel spoke about vengeance. It cried out that my blood must be avenged. The blood of Jesus crying out of the earth today, out of our human heart, is crying out and we must hearken to that voice, a voice of mercy, a voice of forgiveness, a voice telling you that you mustn't avenge when your own blood has been shed, a voice that is crying out from your heart that, listen, vengeance is mine, I am going to repay, that hearken to that and strive against that particular sin, which is unforgiveness, that sin, which is vengeance is mine, I will repay. Now, this is not part of my message, but let me just go into two dimensions of forgiveness here. Because God showed me this last week and I taught it in the fourth service, and I made I need to say it. Now, there are two things here in when it talks about dimension of forgiveness. There is one thing for you to forgive a person of the wrong that they have done to you, which means you are forgiving a human being. Now, we human beings can forgive one another, which means I release that individual. When you forgive a man of sin, what you are saying is that that individual has sinned or he has trespassed or done something to hurt you, but you have decided that you are not going to inflict pain upon that person. Vengeance is not your own. Vengeance belongs to God and that God will repay the individual for what that individual has done. So what you are saying is that I am not going to avenge my blood. I am not going to pay this person back for what that person has done to me in their own coin. Now, that is you forgiving another person. And God says, forgive people because wrath belongs to me and vengeance is mine, I will repay. But there's a second dimension about forgiveness, which is only God can do that. Where we come to the forgiveness of the sins of a particular person. We can forgive people, but we cannot forgive the sins that people have committed. When a person commits a sin, there are consequences for the sin that person has committed. So when somebody says, I forgive somebody, God says, you have released that person to me. Vengeance is mine. That individual will receive a just recompense for the wrong that they have done. But you are not the one going to inflict it. I am the one going to apportion the judgment upon that individual. But when you go one step further, like Jesus did, when he said, Father, forgive them, it's not now that I have forgiven them. I am now asking you to forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Jesus went one step further and said, I have released them into your hands. And it's the same thing that Moses did with God. I have released them into your hands. But then I go one step further and I make intercession for them. That you will release them now from the consequences of the things that they have done wrong. I want you to go one step further. I am not holding anything against them, but you can do that and release people, and in your heart you'll say, God will fight for me. But then you can go one step further and say, God, don't fight for me. Let this individual be released from the consequences of what he has done. I cannot do that. 
I can release the person to you, but then I can go one step further and ask you to release that individual from the consequences of their sin. Are you following what I'm saying here? And then God now goes to forgive sin. So there is the forgiveness of a person, and then there is the forgiveness of the sins of that particular person, where God takes away the cloud, the covering of darkness over the life of that individual. And that's what Moses did when he stood in the gap. And God, he said, listen, I've forgiven the people. And God came to Moses and said, God, and said, Moses, this is the just recompense for the sins of these people. I will destroy them and raise up another nation under you. And then Moses went further and said, God, I have released them, but I'm also asking you to release them from the consequences of their sins that they might be forgiven and the earth might not reveal the fact that they have done this injustice in this particular way. So there's one dimension of forgiving an individual, and then there's a second dimension within your heart where you have said before God, I will never be in a position to see the consequences of this person's mistake or the consequences of the sin of this individual upon the life of that individual. And there's one thing for people to forgive you. is another thing for you to go to God to forgive you of your own sins. Which means you are saying that the consequences of what I have done, but adventure I have made a mistake. Now, forgiveness of sins is deep because if a person is in business, let's just take this as an example. A person is in business and the person has made certain mistakes with their clients and that sin is out there. Now, when that sin is working on the earth, what happens is that somebody else talks to that individual and says, I want to give business to this person. And then the sin speaks and says, listen, the last time I did that kind of thing with this individual, see what happened. Now, what's happening is that the consequences of what that person has done is traveling on the earth. Are you following what I'm saying here? The thing is following that person, affecting the decisions and the judgments that people are making over that individual. But when that person goes and says that, Father, forgive me of the sin that I have committed on the earth, God removes that cloud of darkness over the individual such that not only... Does in people on the earth who have suffered wrongly from that person, not only do they just find out that they are not speaking against that business, they come back and say, I know what happened the last time, but I am giving you another chance. That's the dimension of God. And that's why every Christian, you need to understand that, listen, you have a God in heaven that can show you mercy. And that when you go to him and you say, be merciful unto me and forgive me of my sins, you are asking God to do something that no other person can do. And so what he does is that he removes that cloud off your life. So when there's the contradiction of men, there are two dimensions. You can on one dimension release the people, and then you can on another dimension step into intercession and then ask that God will have a cloud of mercy over the lives of these individuals. And the consequence of that will not be seen as your own response to the voice of the blood of Jesus crying out of your own heart. And when you pray that way, what happens is that you enter into a place. Like, let me tell you this, a thousand might fall on your left, 10,000 on your right. You know on the inside of yourself it cannot come near you. You know you are dealing with a God whom you have sown seeds into the earth that he should remove the consequences of sins of people over their lives. And of course, God will go in that depth to also help you out as an individual and you will never reap from the wrong seeds you might have sown in your life in the past. So there are dimensions there. But what we're speaking about is that it says, therefore resist sin. 
and he speaks about the root of bitterness and all of that, he says that you might be able to receive the kingdom. But I'm going somewhere, look at verse 17. It says, for you know that how, now we spoke about Esau that did not resist that particular sin. It says how, that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing. Now what I want you to note is that that word blessing is in singular tense. And if you study the New Testament, you will know that one major aspect of the revelation of the New Testament that Paul taught in Galatians was the difference between seed and seeds. Seed as of one and seeds as of many. Now here it is speaking about the blessing and it's not speaking about blessings. Now there are what we call blessings from God and then we are what we call the blessing of God. Now here it says, Afterward, you know he would have inherited the blessing. And this one, I want to speak about the blessing. He says he was rejected because he found no place, for, no place of repentance, which means there was no repentance in the life of this individual. He was completely stubborn. He says, though he now started carefully with tears, refused to repent, but tried to use crying and tears to get what he should have gotten by repentance. Now, the issue is that it's called the blessing. Now, there are blessings that actually come from God. There are many times we speak about this, and when you talk to the average Christians, he speaks about Abraham's blessings and mine. Abraham's is not Abraham's blessings. It is the blessing of Abraham. You understand what I'm saying here? All right? It is one thing. We talk about God blessed me with a car. That is true. God blessed me with this. That is true. God blessed me with silver. God blessed me with gold. That is true. But there is something called the blessing of the Lord. And in the Proverbs, it speaks about the blessing of the Lord that maketh rich and addeth no sorrow unto it. The blessing of the Lord is an empowerment for certain things to happen. Which means when a man has received the blessing of the Lord as a singular thing, that individual is blessed. That person carries the blessing of God into everything that he or she is doing. It's not just one item that came here and there. It's not just the process of believing God here and here individually for things. It is the confirmment of the blessing of God inside the heart of an individual that now spreads into the life of that individual. Now, once the blessing has been conferred, and the only way the blessing is conferred, and I will show you this, is when the individual goes through the process that is ordained here in Hebrews chapter 12. Yes, there is a dimension of faith. And please get what I'm saying here. When you believe God for things one after the other, and you confess for things one after the other, but if you have been listening well to me, you'll have known that the direction that we're going in this church is that that is the foundation, that what we are saying now is that we want to build upon that foundation. We are not denying that foundation about confession and exercise of faith, but we're saying that it is at one level. And what you need to know is that there is something that is called the blessing. I'll get deeper into that. The blessing of the Lord. It was the blessing of the Lord that Jacob had on his life when he entered into Laban's house. It was the blessing of the Lord, of Abraham, that was in the heart of Joseph, that when Joseph entered into various places, we saw the manifestation. It was the blessing of the Lord, singular term, that Isaac had. And last week we were speaking about this, about how the kingdom is bestowed. And this is the process, and this is what Abraham did unto Isaac. 
And what he did was that when he was about to go home to be with the Lord, he called all his sons together and the sons of the concubines. Now, you listen very well to this. And the concubines, sons of the concubines, had observed Abraham, and they knew that Abraham really, really liked Isaac. They heard how, because of Isaac, Abraham sent out Ishmael from the house that Isaac might grow and Isaac might survive and that Isaac might have the inheritance. We heard about all of that. So they knew that Isaac was the favorite son, in quote, of Abraham. So they were watching. And the man was getting old. And then when he got to one point, he now had all his property. And he said, now all my sons come forward. And what they were thinking in their minds, and you understand what went through Isaac here, and you understand something. He said, now all you guys come forward. Now you know how much property I have, all the houses that I have. They said, yes. He said, now let me start dividing. First son, you see those houses there, four of them belong to you. Second son, those houses there, ten of them belong to you. And gradually, they saw Abraham giving away all his material possessions to the sons of the concubines. And they were wondering. And then it came to the time of Isaac, and Abraham literally had given up all his material possessions to the sons of the concubines, and they must have been giggling to themselves. That what now is left for Isaac? We've gotten everything. What now is left for Isaac? We've taken everything. And when they had all gone, and that was why they didn't fight Isaac, because they thought they had carried away everything. Are you following what I'm saying there? They thought that the substance, what they carried away was the fruit. What God was giving to Isaac was the root. Once the fruit is spent, once the fruit is used up, you have to come back to the root to get the blessing. And I said last week, I understood for the first time what um, the elder brother, the father was saying. Now I understood it on a deeper level this morning when I was thinking about it. That when the elder brother came to the father, and the father said, all that I have is yours, and we'll see this. This is the same thing that Abraham did to Isaac. The Bible says he gave Isaac everything that he had. He gave him everything, but in giving him everything that he had, he didn't give him anything materially because he had divided all the material possession among the others. You understand this? And this is what Jesus Christ was saying. The people of this world are seeking for those material things. He said, what you should seek for, because you are the seed of Abraham, I can distribute the gifts of gold and silver to all of them. I will confer upon you what Abraham conferred upon Isaac. Which meant that when they took everything, they left peacefully. They will have fought. They will have killed Isaac. That's the truth about it. The same way Cain went after Abel. The same way Esau went after Jacob. The same way, we'll see this, Jeroboam had to kill his brothers in order to maintain the kingdom. They will have come. The same way they went after Joseph, they will have come after Isaac. But Abraham was wise and said, I will create an atmosphere of peace by sending a signal out into the material world that will confuse all canal people and they will think that they have carried the day. So what he did was that he distributed it he said, guys, go. Because they had everything, they peacefully left Isaac. Isaac was alone there without any material position. You study it. The same thing Isaac did with Jacob. He sent Jacob out with nothing. Jacob went into Laban's house with nothing materially. What happened to the money and everything Isaac had? Jacob entered Laban's house with nothing. Now, what happened to all the money? They understood the blessing. That those are manifestations of the blessing. Give a man the root, and eventually we're going to see the fruit. But what we can do is to take the fruit, give it to other people in order to create peace. You understand what I'm saying here? So he gave Isaac the blessing and conferred it upon Isaac. It's the same thing that God did to Adam at the beginning. The Bible says he blessed man. 
And when he conferred the blessing upon Adam, Adam lost it in the garden and God was restoring it through Abraham. He conferred it upon Adam and said, because you have this blessing, and he said, make sure you don't touch that fruit. That fruit will corrupt the blessing. The day you eat of it, the blessing will leave you. And that's what he's saying, resist unto the shedding of the blood, hatred. Which means, don't walk in hatred. The root of it is the love walk. That's why the Bible says we might be rooted and grounded in love. The root is the love work that you have on the inside of yourself. That is the root of this particular thing. Once you have that inside you, then you have hit the foundation of the covenant, then you are rooted inside God. So he told Isaac, they've taken everything, now here is the blessing. As God said, be fruitful, multiply. The blessing was conferred upon Abraham on that mountain. And he said, in multiplying shall I multiply thee, and in blessing shall I bless thee. And that same thing was now conferred upon Isaac and said, I have given you the blessing. That's what Esau saw. Listen, Esau could have gathered all the money of Isaac, but he knew he had missed something. Something that was transferred into the life of Isaac by the words of, I'm sorry, into the life of Jacob by the words of Isaac. As Isaac pronounced it upon him, he knew the blessing had gone. And immediately Isaac stood up, or, um, Jacob, and entered into Laban's house. It wasn't a question of getting the right job. It was a question of being the right person. Did you hear what I said? When you are seeking blessings, you are looking for a job. When you have the blessing, you are the job. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying here? When we are saying, pray, God, give me a good job. Those who are blessed, the blessing is prophetic. Its activity is predictable. Which means, when Joseph had the blessing, he stepped into, and you could see, he fought against that. He said, listen, I'm not going to show any hatred to my brothers. Because if I eat of this thing, that seed is going to destroy this thing. So he fought it. You could also see that everybody was fighting that, that there must be no strife. That's what happened to Abraham. When Abraham saw the strife trying to come up between him and Lot, he said, listen, if strife gets in, it will affect the flow of this particular thing. Take whatever you want materially, leave me with the blessing. And then the blessing said, lift up your eyes. And he saw what a natural man could not see. So what happened was that when they conferred all the silver, and that's what Joseph was telling us, don't ask for those things. If you ask for those things and you have it, that's the end. He said, what you should go for is the kingdom, the blessing. If you have the blessing, which is a supply of the spirit of Jesus, and I'll show you this, inside your heart, imparted at a particular measure and degree, all these other things shall be added unto you. So a blessed man is blessed. Look, you can pray to God. Now, let me tell you this. Listen to me. No patriarch stood up and was confessing for a car. Do you understand it now? Not that they didn't know the power of words. You understand this? No patriarch stood up and was confessing healing. The blessing kept them well. The blessing brought all those things to them. Are you getting what I'm saying here? Let me announce to you what suddenly dawned on me first service while I was preaching just came I said is the truth. I've heard people say it, but out of fear of with your religious mind, you say, ah, no. Jesus said, whosoever, Christian or non-Christian, shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, 
and shall not doubt in his heart, and shall believe that whatsoever he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he does saith. It is whosoever can have whatsoever. The issue is, how far can you see? The world can have whatsoever, but they can only see the natural. What happens is that we can have whatsoever, but we are seeing things that have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. It is the same channel, but the content now differs. It's the same principle of speaking, but the issue is, what are you saying? That's why if you're a student of books about positive thinking and all of that, you will find out that that message of confession and all of that, they lodge it there about saying things. And they will tell you that they have gotten things that they have said. But the issue when it comes to the blessing is that, hey, we agree as a principle you are using the same thing. But the question is, Lot used it and got himself Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham used it and got everything. Are you following what I'm saying here? Which means you are going into another dimension. So Jacob carried it, and what, Isaac, what Abraham did was he told Isaac, now they are all gone. And what the elder brother, the father was telling him that I came to understand on another dimension was that when he came to meet his father and asked him, you have given the gifts to this boy that wastes it. When the father said, all that I have is yours, you know what the father was saying? Don't worry. Even if I carry everything and give it to him, you can at any given time reproduce the entire thing. What I have is yours in its spiritual forms. Even if fire consumes all of this, that boy will be crying, but you will say, you will see that I am a blessed man. You will see that the covenant lives on the inside of me. The blueprint as to how all these things can be built has been defined within my being. That's why patriarchs never gave their children silver and gold. They pushed them out and gave them the blessing. That's why Joseph started out his life without the support, the material support of Jacob. But he went there with the blessing, and at the end of the day, Jacob needed the material support of Joseph. Uh, now, are you following what I'm saying here? Now, once you understand that, and we see the blessing working in the life of Joseph. Now, see what happened. To show you it's predictable. He went. It is definite. It is a DNA. It works the same way. He went into prison. The promotion went, pam, pam. No, to Potiphar's house, pam, 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 right-hand man of Potiphar. All right? Then they kicked him out of there, and he lost the job. Then went into prison, the blessing. Pam, 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 right-hand man of the chief warder. Then he got out of that, got to Pharaoh's house. Pam, 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 right-hand man of Pharaoh. Listen, the character of Pharaoh, the character of Potiphar, and the character of the chief, um, and chief warder differed. But the effect of the blessing was the same. So if a man says, I have not been promoted, he is saying, I don't have the blessing. If he comes out in anger, you can see he's eating the wrong fruit. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Do you get what I'm saying here? You can see why he's not blessed. He comes and says, see what they're doing to me. He's not, can you see it? He's eating of that food they told him not to eat of. All right? He has been poisoned. See what they're doing. They're passionate in that place. Then he says, and nobody promoted me. Then he goes to God, promote. Promote, promote, promote. And God says, there's a better resurrection. There's, that thing that they didn't promote you is a process. 
Instead of you asking for promotion, submit to that process. This is what the church world hasn't understood in terms of maturity. This is what Paul came to understand. He was praying, let this thing be taken away. He said, submit. When you submit unto it and exercise yourself, you say it is the devil, it is God that is closing a door that he might open up the major one unto you. You say we are rebuking the God himself, thinking that is the devil. Listen. Eddie Long said something, Bishop Eddie Long. He said, the devil has never stopped me. God has stopped me. That there are certain things that I want to do. When I am stopped, I never say it's the devil. I start binding. He said, I realize that God has closed one door that he might open another. And so I submit to him. No matter how much I wanted the gift, I know the blessing is more precious than the gift. So I worship him that he has taken my eyes off the gift and is now set on the blessing. And when you get the blessing, you go into a permanent position. That's what Paul was doing. 